Hello, my name is Jakub Gurnicki and this is Story Mixer, a podcast in which we are talking about just one thing, how to make great stories. Mixer is an organization which is devoted to supporting journalists, storytellers, influencers, basically people who produce stories in Europe and different places all around the world. We organize workshops, we do events, we provide services, but what is the most important thing is that we meet great people who do great stories. So I thought it's such a great thing talking to them. So I want you to give this opportunity so you can hear our conversations as we talk and try to understand how to make a great story. So hello, this is Story Mixer, a podcast about how to make great stories. Uh, my name is Izana Chaman Pervizai, and I'm an assistant product manager for investigative tooling at the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project. And today I will be moderating our great panel, Brand New Crimes and Investigation, where we will be talking about investigative journalism and uh, the challenges and changes it faces due to the expansion of YouTube and podcasts. We have three great speakers with us today, so I'm going to call them down one by one. Uh, we have David Aleski, a reporter at the Investigative Reporting Lab, Macedonia, IRL, and an ID researcher at OCCRP. Thank you for joining us, David. Uh, we have Yanina Konienko, Ukrainian journalist from Slitsvo Info. Thank you for joining us. And we have Samir Mojkic, managing editor for the Balkan Investigative Reporting Network, Burn for short, joining us today. Cool. Thank you all. Are these working? I don't know. Are they working? Can you hear us? Okay. Oh, yeah. Now they are. <laughs> cool. So thank you all for joining us. And I think it would be great if we can all just briefly, or if you all can just briefly introduce yourselves, um, basically where you're based, your main areas of focus, and how long you've been with your current media organizations. Should I start? I'm David Ilieski. I'm based in Skopje, North Macedonia. I work as a journalist investigator with the Investigative Reporting Lab, which is a media organization focused on investigating organized crime and corruption in, in Macedonia. And we are part of the big network, the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, where I also work as a researcher. Uh, why I'm here? Because IRL is, uh, has a production team which is doing documentaries and podcasts, where, and I'm going to talk more about that in this panel. Hello, everyone. My name is Zenina Kornienko. Uh, I'm a Ukrainian journalist working for Slitsvin for Media. It's an investigative uh, agency. We're also part of OCCRP network. And uh, um, today I will talk about how we're presenting our investigations uh, on YouTube. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Samir Mojkic. A little closer, I'm the managing editor for the Balkan Investigative Reporting Network office in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Our core of reporting is, and how we started, is war crime trials reporting and investigations on the war crimes in Bosnia and Herzegovina. But in the recent years, we've been also expanded to cover corruption, to cover foreign malign influences, to cover different kind of radicalization and, and extremism processes both in Bosnia and in the region and I will be uh, talking about how we actually started using YouTube as a new social media for us and how do we sometimes uh, do a content specifically for YouTube and, and just 
for YouTube and how do we incorporate it into our investigations, both on uh, war crimes, but also in the, in the different topics and what does it brings, brings to us. Perfect. Thank you all for your introductions. Uh, my first question is for Semir and Yanina, for you both. Why did your outlets start using YouTube? And can you also tell us the benefits compared to written journalism as to why? Okay, uh, so um, our uh, media started to work with YouTube uh, a lot of years ago. Uh, first of all, the first reason is just because we can't work with uh, TV. In Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian TV channels are mostly owned by uh, business or politicians. And according to our ethical uh, uh, rules and uh, philosophy, we won't work with them. So we uh, wanted to do investigative journalism, independent. Uh, that's why we uh, um, started to produce uh, investigations uh, on YouTube. Uh, th that was the first reason. Uh, the second one is um, Ukrainian audience don't really like uh, um, read complicated stories, and I think uh, as all other audience in other countries, um, so we try to pack these uh, uh, complicated schemes in videos to make it easier uh, for people to understand uh, what is going on. Uh, so. Um, if we choose uh, any video platforms, YouTube is the most popular, I think. Uh, so, um, yes, and also when the war, uh, the full-scale uh, invasion happened, uh, um, Ukrainian audience started to read a lot and watch a lot, and the YouTube format helps people uh, to get information quickly and easy. Uh, so we, we keep working there. Thank you. Samit, would you like yes, to add something? Uh, for us, uh, it was uh, a way to actually discover new audiences. Uh, we have this TV show, monthly TV show, that's been aired on some 20 TV stations in Bosnia-Herzegovina. It's been going for years now. And we were always uploading it on YouTube, the full TV show for everyone to watch. But we weren't so focused on actually having people to watch it and to promote it and to actually use YouTube as a, as a new platform to, to, to reach people. So uh, at some point I figured out what was said before the panel, uh, uh, somehow it's strange but people are willing today to spend more time watching something than reading something. If you have a long-form investigation and it takes you 15 or 20 minutes or half an hour to read it, people are not so keen to, to, to read for so long. But if you put a video of 30 minutes, sometimes they're more, more willing to watch 30 minutes of, of video than to read. Even if it's longer, even if it takes them uh, to, to continually watch it, they're still more willing to do that. So. I was really interested in, in, in seeing how we could use actually YouTube to promote this TV show, but also to do different kind of stuff. And what I saw is that we could reach, even though this TV show is being aired on different TV stations, I realized we could reach new audience. And it's not just a, a, a younger audience. Obviously it is, YouTube is an emerging social media platform in Bosnia. Uh, but by some uh, uh, reports, Facebook is still the first 
uh, Instagram is now on, on the second place, and YouTube is on third. So Twitter, even though we really love to use it, is not that popular in Bosnia. So I wanted to use this advantage to actually, that we have this multimedia production, how could we use it for, for YouTube? And, and I saw there's a younger audience that's willing to, to actually look at it, but also some older uh, audience which now has smart TVs, and if you do your job well, your content can be in this related or suggested content, and you can really reach them if they're watching something on YouTube, on their smart TVs, your content could, could put up, pop up. So I really wanted to see how could we uh, use that as our advantage. We, are, uh, we don't have a resources or servers to use video at our own server, so we always use YouTube for videos. And I wanted to see if we use it such as we use Instagram or, or, or Facebook, how can we grow at, at, at YouTube. That, that, that was our idea. I just want to add something to what Simon said, that um, it's not that people do not read, at least in our case, we can see it, like, uh, because when you do these hardcore investigative journalism stories, you publish long pieces, but I think that using YouTube is targeting a different kind of audience, one thing, because everybody says, said that, like, trying to reach a new audience, but it's also, like, trying to find new ways of storytelling, because when you do investigative journalism, you have these stories which can be applied to good storytelling in a written story with 3,000, 5,000 words, but also there are stories which are really good to be told in a video, which you're not going to be able to express the same things that you're going to be able to express through a, through a written text the same way that you're going to be able to do them in a, in a video format. And I think that's also one very important thing, that the ways of storytelling that the video gives you. Thank you all for your insights. Um, David, my next question is going to be for you and specific to IRL. So IRL does podcasts, uh, 16 episodes to be exact from what I just saw. Uh, well, 16th episode was just released recently. Mm -hmm. So can you take us back and tell us how IRL got started into creating podcasts? What was that pushing factor? So basically, IRL is existing for around five years in Macedonia. It was founded by Sashka Tsvetkovska and a team of a small team of journalists, which in the media landscape, which was very unstable, same as everywhere else in the Western Balkans, mainly everywhere in the world now, we can see that it's a very unstable media uh, market. We, uh, we decided to, to try and find different ways of how we're going to how we're going to shape and tell these stories. Uh, so two years ago, um, when you do this, as I mentioned before, hardcore investigative journalism stories about corruption, about organized crime, they're not always the ones that uh, you can only tell through, uh, through written texts. So through the efforts, uh, we managed to set up a whole production team which started to do uh, documentary series. Two years ago, we started producing the, a documentary series called Newsroom. And they're basically long-length documentaries, and we are collaborating with filmmakers, directors, movie editors, which are helping us to find other ways how to, how to tell these stories. So basically, we were producing this, this documentary series for one year, and we were publishing it on YouTube and on the National Broadcasting Channel. And it got a lot of traction, and people started watching it a lot. So the idea for the podcast came with this, uh, with this documentary series. Uh, we initially wanted to have like a podcast which will talk about the behind the scenes of the investigations that you can watch in the documentaries. 
Um, rebuilding trust in media is a very important part of our work, and through showing how journalists do their work, and through showing how we dig through documents, how we uh, try to do our work in the most ethical and professional way, I think that's one way of how you can regain trust. And the podcasts give you an insight of what we do as a journalist, what we face when we are investigating the uh, these stories, because you know we are always like uh, under a lot of pressure. Our, my colleagues will will be able to to say the same thing that when you do these kind of stories, there are interesting things behind the scenes. So I think that people want to listen to this kind of stuff. So basically, this is how the the podcast. And the, the name of the podcast is uh, Talks in a Newsroom. Basically, it's kind of uh, the idea was to to give an insight about the about the journalists' work in IRL, but. Just to finish up, it kind of got the traction. Uh, people started watching the podcast. So basically, there are tens of thousands of views on, on each podcast, which for a small country like Macedonia, which has an audience base of, of less than 2 million, it, I think the numbers are good. So when we saw that, uh, we decided to have like this podcast as a regular thing, which we publish bi-weekly. Uh, no, sorry, we publish once every two weeks. So basically, we have this podcast. We expanded it beyond only the, the documentary series, and we give, still give insight on the on the investigative stuff, the interesting parts of the, of the journalist's work. Perfect. Thank you, David. Uh, really interesting. So um, we have a nice mix of organizations that do podcasts and organizations that make informational videos for YouTube and so on. So I want to open up this next question to all of our speakers. Are there any specific challenges or opportunities, rather, that have emerged with the rise of YouTube and podcasts specific to your organizations or, if anything, you just want to mention generally? Yes, uh, in Ukraine we we had a lot of uh, like we um, we got a lot of views uh, last year. Um, uh, a lot of audience uh, come to our channel, and we produced a lot of videos uh, first uh, months of war, uh, and it brought us a million views uh, for each uh, video, and uh, that was. Um, that was a big challenge for us because we had to keep this um, keep this frequency of publishing uh, to keep this audience uh, on our channel. Uh, but uh, I think uh, it uh, really depends on topics. <laughs> Actually, uh, no one knows uh, how it works, uh, and I think even uh, even our communication team uh, don't understand how it works. But people uh, go away and. Uh, uh, now we have a big um, like uh, hole in the in the views. Uh, uh, people don't watch it so much, and uh, I can understand them. Uh, the big uh, like all that violence we have to show, uh, and w all that violence we watched uh, a year ago, it's uh, not uh, possible anymore to watch uh, th that much. And I think it might be a reason why people uh, don't uh, watch videos uh, um, so actively as it was before. Uh, but at the same time, we have doubts. Maybe. They won't watch it, and we try to propose them stories about corruptions again, not only about war crimes, as we uh, did last year, and maybe we should publish more about war crimes, and then the audience will stay with us, because we want to work for people, and we don't want to work just, uh, you know, to, to do it for us. And, of course, we... Um, 
it's important for us uh, what people think. Uh, so yes, now we have like a biggest challenge. We don't really understand uh, uh, what people like and what, what not, and what audience is our. Because before war, it was people who watched stories about complicated offshore schemes, about domestic corruption. Uh, then uh, our uh, channel grow up with people who watched about war crimes and now we don't know who are them <laughs> anymore because it's mix of both and, um, and we also mix stories uh, and that's why we can't choose which is our uh, best way to, uh, to work. So I think this is a big challenge for us uh, in YouTube and also um, we have a lot of competitors uh, by competitors, I mean not only a media, but also a bloggers who produce not really, uh, not really, um, I, I won't say good content, but uh, let's say fact-checked content, um, and they uh, um, they get a lot of views just because of uh, the way they show it, the manner of presenting, and maybe they make things more simpler which we can't allow to do uh, for ourselves because we need to like, uh, do it uh, properly uh, according to all journalism standards. And I think these bloggers are, um, are huge competitors for uh, independent, uh, independent media nowadays. So I think this is our most uh, challenges last years, last months. This is, an, this is an interesting topic that Janina mentioned is this working? Yeah, okay. I think this is an interesting topic that Janina mentioned in terms of how you're trying to structure the way of the YouTube algorithm and what you're trying to produce when it comes to YouTube. Uh, and when you try to fit in into that whole bubble where you have a lot of content producers, a lot of people who don't do just like the uh, basic journalistic work and then try to tell the stories through YouTube, but they do not apply the same standards and the same uh, professional uh, ethical standards that a journalist should have. It's kind of it's kind of a hard challenge to try and, and find the find the right way. So basically, me uh, I want to say that um, trying to st uh, not to chase what the algorithm of YouTube wants, but trying to do the professional work of a journalist and use YouTube as an outlet where you will be able to to reach people. I have other ideas about challenges and opportunities, but I wanted to hear what Simmer thinks about this. Uh for, for us, the biggest challenge would be to actually switch and learn how to switch between uh, writing style and formats to, to the video formats. It's completely different and you have to train people to think differently. You have to think about all sorts of different things and I would say that it costs much more than to produce just a written piece. It also takes much more time. and. When I said you have to look at the, the, some specific things, for example, you always think in a written reports how to start a lead, how to make it rich, and how you want it to, to actually look. You have to do the same with the video. What worked really well for us, and it took us some time to, to actually realize it, you would usually start your introduction with some, I don't know, landscape shot or something, something like that. But if you don't start with the face, someone's face, there's a great chance that your video will be just swiped. So we actually learned that you have to start immediately your video if you want people's attention. Because these first seconds when they decide whether they're going to watch it or not uh, is really important. And it goes against your natural storytelling. You want 
time to, to, to set the place for people, for your viewers, for your readers to actually understand where you are, what's the story, but with this format that you actually put on social media and all we do on, on YouTube, we use it for Facebook and Instagram, you have to start immediately to, to get them actually interested. For us, it was also how to actually make it look really good. It's, I think there's a big gap between doing these simple uh, 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 videos that you can do with mobile phone, that you can do quickly, that you can edit on mobile phone or, or basic laptop. But there's a big gap if you want to do a professional production. Then it costs really much to get all the equipment to have people and are you going to have people in-house or are you going to, to take someone from the outside? So what we actually do now is we do have in-house cameramen and two video editors that will work full-time. So we realize that's the best if we want to have professional production. But it really costs. And it takes you time to, to do these stories, to do these videos. You also have to think, while you are doing investigation, you have to record it, you have to shoot it. You cannot do an investigation and then later on think, how can we do a video? You have to do it at the same time because you want to show people how you did it, you want to record your people you are interviewing. Sometimes it makes you a problem because it's easier to get people to talk to, to audio recording than to, to camera. But all that said, I think there are great opportunities to actually uh, reach new audiences. And for us, it was also important because as we air on 20 uh, different TV stations, we don't, we don't send them these shorter videos. And also for these longer formats, sometimes what happens for us, some of the TVs are not interested in, in actually airing it. Not interested because they think it's badly done. But some of the topics, especially for foreign malign influences, if you do topic on Huawei, for example, then it's the question who of this TV station is going to air it because they might have commercials from that company. So YouTube proved for us to be a direct channel to our viewers to actually to, to go directly to, to them. Uh, I would say that the great opportunities are YouTube Shorts. That, that you could use for us, it showed that it usually has more views than a video you put on, on just a normal, regular video. So it, it works really well. On the challenging part for this big investigation, fact-checking is also a problem when you do video. It's, it's different, and you want to do a video as quickly as possible with the story. Sometimes you change something, something changes in the story. It's much harder to change something in video editing than it is to change something in a story. You just rewrite the sentence. Here you have to record audio again, or you have to, to do graphics again. It's, it's, it's different. I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree that the, the most challenging part in, in the video production part is the resources in terms of money because video production, as Samir said, it costs a lot of money if you want to do it the right way. Uh, and we in IRL decided that we're going to take an in-house team, but we took a team that was previously not working in the journalistic world, world but was, a, was fully in the movie production business. Directors, movie editors, people who came from a different sphere and... Um, we decided to take a little bit of a different approach. We, we don't go with the standard YouTube algorithm that we need to catch the, uh, the attention of the audience right away. Sometimes we are sure that this like, uh, 
does not work in the in the best interest to for people to watch the videos. But on the other hand, uh, I think that building audience is a slow progress, and you you need to teach them what you're doing. So the the, the approach that we took is having these uh, long length documentaries that have a three act structure, and uh, they go slow. They then they set up an antagonist, a protagonist. In our case, the antagonist is the is the journalists who are investigating this story. So basically, I think it's a, a little bit of a different approach. But uh, coming from here to the to the opportunities that that this ways of storytelling gives you, especially with the podcast and with the documentaries, is I mentioned this before, but it's building trust in journalists, which I think is one of the biggest issues at this moment in the world because. Uh, people do not trust us, people do not read news, people do not listen to news, people think they are entitled to their own facts. And the, one of the things how we decided to, to tackle this is that we as investigative journalists um, try to uncover the truth, try to uncover crime, you know, and it's a, for the people outside this world, this is a very interesting thing, you know, you, we always, as mentioned before, uh, we always watch these crime series or crime podcasts, which give you an insight of how somebody's investigating, and people most usually think that us as journalists just going to take the information and we're going to give them to you, but we as journalists, it's a tedious work. We go through a lot of databases. We talk with a lot of sources. We are under a lot of pressure while we are investigating. So basically, uh, part of the documentary and mostly the podcast as well is telling you how much we do this work behind the, behind the scenes, meaning that we are the people who investigate and the, the information that we are getting is not just served to us by some people in power that want to influence somebody something. But mainly, this is made for a good cause. We are fighting corruption, we are fighting organized crime, and we are showing you how we do this. Same with the documentary, same with the podcasts, where we talk a lot about how we do things, why we do things. And we also, like, often in the podcasts, call other journalists from other media outlets, and they share their own stories in terms of how they did an investigation. And I think this is a very important process. And we are seeing that, like, people react to this. People are trusting us more. People are more open to talk with us. And people approach us to tell us their stories and to, to find, a, like, a, an outlet where they can, where they can get their, the truth out. Perfect. Uh, thank you all for your insights. I just wanted to piggyback off of something that was mentioned. So we brought up engaging new audiences. We brought up new storytelling techniques, trustworthiness of journalists. So I think uh, the main question here is, how do you navigate between the balance of maintaining journalistic integrity and meeting the needs of your viewers? Because when it comes to YouTube or podcasts, uh, most of the time, in many cases, it's prioritized entertainment or some sort of sensational content. So where, where's the divide? I'm just going to have a quick answer. There's no divide. Journalistic standards and professionalism is imperative, and there's no topic for discussion on this field. I don't think that uh, getting more views uh, can be put on the same level of discussion whether we're going to sacrifice the integrity of the journalist just to get more views. So just a quick answer, no topic of discussion. Okay. Everyone agree? Yeah. Okay. All right. So moving forward, um, question for each of you. Can you mention to us an, an example of a notable investigative journalism uh, case or anything that you did that was a huge success, let's say, and made a huge impact that came from either your YouTube channels or from podcasts? Um, well, so uh, 
usually our investigations are um, just for audience who, like we reveal for audience some, um, some phenomena that exist in Ukraine, how it was uh, before the war and nothing changed. Uh, sometimes it somehow influenced on uh, decision of our politicians, but not that often. Uh, now I think uh, it's mostly about documenting history. So I think that the result of what we are doing now will be um, will be uh, uh, easy to see in a years because what we are doing, like most uh, biggest b big part of our work, is just documenting war crimes. So we're going to a place where crime was committed. For example, like uh, killed civilian. Uh, we are uh, doing a field work, just collecting some uh, papers on the ground, uh, just uh, bullets, etc. To, um, uh, for example recording from uh, cameras on the street, then we get back to office, we uh, analyze it, we are um, trying to get um, a list of Russian soldiers based on that village, for example, if it was a village. Uh, then we try to identify all those Russian soldiers from a specific uh, 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 military union, we print their faces, get back to a village, show it to people, and people recognize them or not. If people recognize them, we have a story about a specific killer, not just a random army who committed a crime, but a specific soldier who did it. We know his name and we know his face. Uh, this is just a simpler, um, like, quick stories we do, like, every week. But we're also doing a documentaries, um, and uh, last uh, two documentaries is about uh, deportation of children to Russia. And uh, basically, my colleague she managed to get back them home, and we film all the way how uh, those uh, kids who was uh, uh, they was in a Crimea, on occupied Crimea at that moment, and she contacted them just to ask about how they. Uh, appeared in that uh, seat, uh, in that uh, territory and they said uh, they didn't want to go there they just forcibly moved uh, to this city and they went uh, and they won't get uh, back home and we realized that this is already our sources because we talked to them and they are under danger because of us and we tried them to leave uh, uh, to, to get back to Ukraine so they travel through Russia through Europe and get back to Kiev successfully so I think it's a successful story because uh, kids are safe now uh, and to, uh, to show it to our audience we usually do a presentations in a cinema if it's a documentary and I think it's really powerful uh, tool uh, because it makes something special uh, because when you just publish it on YouTube, it can pass in an amount of uh, random videos from bloggers, uh, journalists, uh, news, etc. But when you do a movie presentation in the cinema, people come here, people make an effort to come and spread it, spread it around friends, and then it becomes a new itself that this uh, for presented movies. So it's become more special. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, so uh, um, talking about successful story now, I think um, all story when someone survived is already successful. Uh, but uh, talking about corruption, in, it depends on case, of course. Thank you for sharing. David, yep. send me a 
Yeah, our experience is quite similar. I would say documentaries work really well on, on YouTube. We recently did documentary on how these far-right narratives, both in Serbia and in Bosnia, led to violence against LGBT community and stopping of Europride in Belgrade. We also did a showing, live showing, which, which really connects you to the audience in, in a different way than it is just publishing online. But uh, YouTube proved to be really good for, for documentaries, both investigative and both different kinds of documentaries that will explain you something, give you a different perspective. What also really works well for us are explainer videos. This is by far the, the most watched content on all of our social media platforms. People really like to watch these simple, short videos of three, five, or seven minutes to explain them something that is quite complex or that is trending. They want these three or five things to understand what's, what's uh, important there. When we talk about the, the investigations that, that were really good with, uh, with YouTube, I could talk about two. The recent one is we did this video which gives you in a couple of minutes, it shows you the whole story we did on the Russians that are trying to open companies in Sarajevo, one of them uh, being really high up in one of the gas companies. And uh, Ukraine actually wants him sanctioned, but he tried to, to open company here. And in the investigation, we found out there's a guy in Sarajevo which is actually helping uh, Russians to open companies here. But they also face a problem that the Western bank, banks are not willing to, to open their bank accounts because they, because they are afraid of the sanctions. So we had a, a conversation with this guy who is opening the companies. We couldn't reach this, this guy from Russia. But the whole video was really good and it, it has had good viewing on YouTube and, and a lot of feedback. The other thing, uh, how YouTube actually helped us is not the long form video, but kind of a trailer that we did that we used before we published the story, but also when we published it to, to attract people to actually read the whole story, which was huge, multimedia story. It probably takes you like 20, 25 minutes to, to read. We made this video into a minute and a half or two. It's about the group of people that were actually healing this woman who actually died of leukemia. Her disease was curable by the, the words of her doctor, but at some point she connected to the group, to this group of people. She listened to them. She refused the, the official medication that she was recommended. In the end, she died. So her family provided us with the messages that she was sending with these people, and we recorded some of the family members, and uh, we showed some of these messages on, on, on video. So proved to be really good to actually get, your, get people to read your story and to, to understand it, to, to be attracted by it. Also, we, we do these big databases which are based on videos. We did one for, for Srebrenica. Uh, it's a hundred videos with two or three minutes video of testimonies of these people. And this is really something that people love to watch. I just wanted to ask you quickly, do you think that the short videos for, that we should promote this, big, this written story uh, can go viral, but the people who watch the short video are not that keen to, watch the, to read the full story? Like if you compare the views that the short video got to the 
uh, amount of readers and the length they stayed on the story? Do you, do you see that there's like... Uh, yes, it, it, there's always discrepancy between people who, who see these shorter videos and who actually read it, but in my opinion, these people wouldn't see story at all. So it's a benefit for me if they even see this short video. I try to, to, to explain it. Some of them will click, some of them will see. So it's a win-win situation for me. I know it's a, it's a challenge whether you are giving them just something short and they will not go there. But if you cannot get them interested, it's probably they wouldn't be reading it at all. So for me, it's a, it's a benefit. When it comes to... Well, when it comes to successful stories, I think what ma what makes a successful story for us the number one thing is causing impact and making change in society when you publish a story. Uh, and I think, of course, that's very interconnected with the amount of views and amount of audience that they're going to watch or read the story. Because in order for, for, for changes to happen, you need to have public pressure. Uh, one really successful story that uh, I want to mention that is coming from IRL is the documentary that we published last year. It's called Bad Blood. It was a long-length documentary about a cardiac surgeon in Macedonia which was uh, performing uh, an experimental medical treatment on COVID patients. Uh, when we published the documentary, it caused a huge boom in Macedonia. Basically on YouTube, like 600,000 people watched it, which again, coming back to the, to the audience group of, of less than 2 million, it's, it's a lot of people to, to, to watch this documentary. But why this story was successful, not only because it got a lot of views, but because the, the prosecution had, was proactive on this case. Uh, now he's facing charges, he's in court. Uh, they are charging him for scamming people and endangering people's lives. Hopefully, he's he's gonna go to jail for that. But uh, uh, what I wanted, why I wanted to to mention this story is because I think that the connection between good ethical and professional journalism and finding a new way of storytelling, having this 60-minute documentary with a three-act structure where the journalist is an antagonist of the story and he's facing this protagonist, the other way around, sorry, the, the protagonist is the journalist, and you're, he's facing this antagonist, which is the bad guy in the story, this, this doctor who is, uh, who, who is working uh, uh, not in the, in the way that the doctor should work. And I think that this caused like a very... And intertwined into this, you have the victims, who, who's, the families of the victims, who's, who the people in the hospital died. You cause a very emotional reaction with people. And I think that people, when they have an emotional reaction, they resonate with, with the story. And this is why the prosecution had such a, uh, such a good reaction. And, and coming back to the podcast now, uh, this is around when we were starting the, the podcast. And right after, one week after the the, the documentary was published, we produced a podcast, and we, we, would, we, do, we mostly do video podcasts. We publish them on our YouTube channel. We also disseminate them on Spotify and on Instagram Shorts and YouTube Shorts, but the main audience group is on YouTube video. And this podcast gained like more than 100,000 views, which was very connected. So I think that trying to find like products that uh, can work together with each other is a very important part when you're, you're trying to tell a story and this is the way how you can cause impact because you need to keep the pressure going. You just don't publish one story and stop there but you need to, to find other ways how to keep this, this traction in order for the institutions to react and, and finally do something about it. <laughs>
So uh, we're reaching the end before we get to our audience Q&A, but I just wanted to thank you all for your insights, Samir, Yanina, David. And I think we're all excited to see uh, the future of investigative journalism when it comes to YouTube and podcasts or any other platform that may arise in the upcoming years uh, and new trends and developments. Uh, so I just wanted to say that we had some great discussions today and we would love to open up the floor. We have, I think, 15 minutes for an audience Q&A. So if anyone has any questions, please let us know and we'll have someone come to you. Pretty silent room. <laughs> Anyone? Maybe I can just throw in another question then. Yeah? If nobody has any. Okay. You know, I have a lot of questions about YouTube. <laughs> it's funny that maybe all those people know about uh, about YouTube and can say because I'm I'm like. I was uh, really surprised uh, we we have to tell something about YouTube to people because we like completely lost about its algorithms and how it works. So, yeah. Ask away, Anina. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to throw another question now and then we can see if anyone else has any questions and then we can wrap up. So I started getting into future trends and what we're anticipating. So I would love to know your thoughts on what is the future of YouTube and podcasts in investigative journalism? Uh, what developments or trends do you anticipate? Do you think a whole new platform is going to arise sometime soon? Maybe we can delve into that. I personally think that YouTube is still going to stay the staple of the of how journalists, uh, where journalists put their their video stories. Uh, I think it's the main channel that we're going to continue using in the in the next few years. The the thing that is going to probably change is the how we tell these stories, and I think that because we mentioned this and Yanina brought it up last in terms of how the YouTube algorithm works and what people do and what is happening in general in terms of trusting media and this is widely connected to having this play out of uh, people vloggers which just try to try to occupy and focus only on the on the YouTube algorithm i think that what will distinguish investigative journalism and this like way of professional doing professional way of doing journalism is the um, the new ways of storytelling and I think we should focus more on that and I think we should be persistent and not just only fall for just to be clickbait and just try to get the, the, the views but stay focused and stay on the path that we are here to tell the truth, we are here to expose crime and we are here to, to bring change in the society. So I think uh, I'm, I'm not seeing that in the next five years, for example, in a short period of time, there's going to be a huge transition in terms of where we put the stories out, but I'm seeing that it's going to be a hard fight in terms of how to combat these clickbait, uh, clickbait outlets. outlets. 
I completely agree. I think that uh, storytelling is uh, is uh, the solution for those uh, who want to work with investigations. And we also pay a lot of attention to a cover photo on uh, uh, YouTube because uh, before a person click on the video, they see a cover picture and uh, the heading. And we pay a lot of attention how to call it and what to put on this picture to make uh, to attract the audience. Uh, so I. I think a good uh, um, uh, a good uh, taste of uh, these covers is really helping too, and I also think that YouTube is uh, will keep uh, be uh, being uh, the main platform uh, for videos. Uh, however, it will, we will see something opposite. I remember SunCloud uh, or SunCloud no. Yes, that was uh, popular when it was a COVID, and everyone expected it will be. Um, it will be a revolution, but uh, I don't know how it in your countries, but in Ukraine, uh, you see uh, people even don't remember how it's uh, named, uh, called. Uh, right, so I think, uh, yes, we, we should uh, keep learning how to work with YouTube, learn more our audience and to understand it, to meet them, uh, and that will be a key for success. I think... Uh, I think most of all the video is here to stay i think it's it's going to, to to grow the usage of the videos both in investigative journalism but in all different kinds of, of journalism i see that our production now has much more of videos than we used to do it was maybe five to ten percent that we were making videos of all of our content. I would say in our everyday work today, it's more 20 to 30%, I would say. We really are focused on the video because we see the impact it's making, the, the reach it's making. I think video is here to stay. That said, both Facebook or Twitter are not famous for a video. I mean, Facebook more, but it's still not a platform people use to, to watch videos. I'm still not sure what's going to happen with Instagram and Instagram videos. We see a really big growth there. A lot of people love to watch videos on, on Instagram. But YouTube is still like the only, it's the most used video platform on the planet. And being with, uh, with Google, I would say they would not be making any changes such as Twitter made lately and completely destroyed the platform, I don't see them doing that. So I think it's going to grow more. The only question is how much more can they grow and what's the next thing? I think that they are seeing some kind of the limits with the videos, regular videos that, that they are using and shift to the different kind of, of, of format such as shorts which is not horizontal but vertical video, shorter videos. I think they're trying to, to use uh, people who like to watch Instagram videos to get them also on YouTube. I see that, that the platform struggle for, for viewers there, meaning that there are some limits to it. But definitely it's going to stay and it's going to play a big role for media. For us, it doesn't just play a role on YouTube platform. It plays a role on our website where we want to incorporate video in our stories. 
in 95% of the cases, it's a YouTube video because we cannot host all of these videos on our servers. It's a good platform. It's easy. Everyone can, can view it. You don't have compatibility problems. It's really easy to, to embed it. So I think it's, it's going to, to stay there. It's going to stay also for podcasts. A lot of people use YouTube for, for podcasts to, to record them. We haven't started any podcasts just because if I start something, I want to do it regularly. And I don't see that I could do both YouTube and podcasts now. I think it's better not to start something and then have something every six months. If you want to do it, do it, do it properly. So it, it, it requires some planning, I would say. But I think that, that, that the YouTube is going to, to be important and specifically because people are watching it now on television, not just on their mobile phones, but more and more people are switching from cable news and cable content into the, the YouTube or, or Netflix or different kind of streaming services. And I think it's, it's going to, to play a big role. So. I just want to, before we wrap up, I just want to add something in terms of the... I think it's okay now. I just want to add something in terms of context in the Western Balkans is that uh, people, the audience here were, in the last years were not that used in using YouTube as a platform where they go and they subscribe to a channel and they follow them and they use it as, a, as, as, as we know how the, the Western world or the United States mainly uses it in terms of following a platform, having it only there, not, not having a website and using it as a separate uh, platform where you just like publish the video and link it to your website, but using it as specifically a platform where they go and watch the video. Same as Spotify now, we are seeing a trend where people more and more are starting to use these platforms in the Western Balkans. And the other trend that we are seeing is that not only the short format works, like people want to dedicate more time and they, people want to listen to long length formats. And um, the biggest example with this is the podcasts. We do podcasts which sometimes last two hours and we see that people watch more than an hour of the podcast, which is a lot of time for somebody to spend on their, on their phone or their headphones. And this is like mostly a video format of podcast. So I think that uh, we as, as journalists and then we as pro pro producers should not fall in the loop and only focus on the short format and do the short formats because it's easier for people to scroll. But we need to educate people and we need to produce more long length format and, and make them consume it in a, in a more, in a better way. Okay. So thank you all for your valuable insights and for the work and the impact that you and your organizations are making. Uh, I hope that this panel was helpful for everyone and we are going to wrap up there.